The following message is by Pastor Travis Cardwell. This sermon was preached at Baptist Church of the Redeemer. For more sermons, please visit bcredeemer.org. The power of love is a curious thing. It makes one man weep and another man sing. That's Huey Lewis. Uh, For those of you who like Huey Lewis, the power of love. Love is the central theme in this text today. Peter calls Christians to love one another, and not just generally, but in a gospel-shaped way that defines and illustrates God's love to the world. So Jonathan Lehman says this, the church defines love. It often defines it poorly, mind you, but that's what God calls the church to do, define love for the world. We know that Jesus clearly said the distinguishing mark of his people, that mark that identifies us as followers of Christ, is that we would love one another. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So a question to ponder if you're a member at Baptist Church of the Redeemer this morning is this. What are we saying about God by the way that we love one another? What are we saying? Not theoretically, but actually. What temptations are at work, maybe in you or in us, that would lead us to define that love poorly for the outside world? Maybe it's a consumerism. Maybe it's taking a view that the church really is something that's supposed to provide a service for me and my family, and I'm going to stay committed as long as that service is good and meets my needs. Maybe there's just a reluctance to commitment. I've met some guys like this who struggle with commitment. There's a fear that something better might come along, so I'm not sure I want to fully commit to this body or this people. We are in America, so I don't think individualism would be far out of our thinking. One author says this about Western culture, every attachment is negotiable. We're all free agents, and every relationship and life station is a contract that can be renegotiated or canceled. Whether we're dealing with the prince, the parents, the spouse, the salesman, the boss, the ballot box, the courtroom judge, or of course the local church. We are primarily obligated to ourselves and maximizing maximizing our lives and liberties and our pursuit of happiness. So as we've studied 1 Peter... We've seen a focus on God's grace and mercy to sinners and opening up our eyes to Christ, causing us to be born again to a living hope, an eternal inheritance that provides and produces a holy life. And that call to holiness we focused on last week is really characterized by fear of the Lord, walking in the fear of the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And so today, Peter's going to move from sort of an individual application to a corporate application, the corporate life of the gathered church. He's going to say the central way we express that holy life that God has called us to is through love, loving one another. Since love is the indispensable mark of the Christian life, it ought to also be at least a distinguishing mark the distinguishing mark of a local church. 
So love, Peter says, is the result of conversion. The overflow of regeneration. Love, you might say, is above all. The main point in this paragraph and the sermon this morning is this. Because of God's great love for you in Christ, love one another. Because of God's great love for you in Christ, love one another. In order to see this, uh, Peter takes us through a biblical sort of a flow chart for love. How love works biblically. And these, are, these notes are listed in your bulletin. If you want to follow along that way, I'll tell you what these, this flow chart kind of looks like. He, he first gives us the root of love. And in your bulletin there, I think it says roots, and that's my fault. Just slash out that S. It should be root. There is one root of love. The root of love. And there he's just making a connection between salvation and love for others. The root of love. Secondly, Peter is going to show us the cause of love. And really, by that we mean the means and the power of the gospel. The means of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And then finally, number three, we're going to consider the command itself. The command of love. Because if all that's true... We are, we are now to love one another sincerely. There's a command we need to obey and hear. So I pray that as we examine the source and the means and the call to love, that we would be encouraged and convicted and spurred on to display God's love to the world. So let's consider that the root of that love first. Number one, the root of love. This week, the elders and I, we were, we were talking and discussing um, what it means and how it looks like to ask good questions in shepherding people and shepherding you and getting to know people and how it, it, it's often a great way to hear how people are. And it communicates genuine interest in someone and allows others to share what's important in their lives. However, asking questions can also be a good sales technique, someone pointed out. So you can pretend to have interest in someone by asking lots of questions when your real motive is a sale. So motive matters. The why of love matters. And I just want you to notice that the command to love here in our text is sandwiched between two, what I think are parallel descriptions of conversion. Parallel descriptions of conversion. Look Look at me again with me at verse 22 of chapter 1. Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, there's the command, since you have been born again. Again, just notice the connection and shift that Peter makes from how to live in right relationship to God with how to live in right relationship with one another, from the individual now to the corporate. So here's Peter's argument. The root of Christian love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The root of Christian love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the gospel is Christian love. The fruit of the gospel is Christian love. Those two sentences are going to kind of show us a lot more, I think, about where this root lies here in this first point. The main verb here in verse 22 is love one another. That's our command. Everything else in the paragraph describes what that love looks like. Especially important is who is doing the loving. It's those with 
purified souls. Those with purified souls. How did those souls get purified? By obedience to the truth. Verse 22. By obedience to the truth. I think that's a description of conversion. You obeying the truth, I think, is the truth of the gospel. When we obey the gospel, when we believe and repent, our souls are purified. He had just, he's just left off in chapter 1 talking about our faith and hope being in God in verse 21. Right after he says that, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Peter's already used obedience to Jesus Christ uh, in chapter 1 verse 2 to refer to conversion. He's going to say it elsewhere. 1 Peter 4.17 For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God and if it begins with us what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What does obeying the gospel mean? Repenting of our sin putting our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ. Responding to the good news. That's kind of the first half of the sandwich. The other half of the sandwich is there in verse 23 just that, that little phrase Since you have been born again. Love one another earnestly since you have been born again. Just like our character and mannerisms are shaped by our first birth through our first parents, our new birth transforms us to reflect God's character, God's ways, God's love. Notice how he uses kind of this this, uh, procreation language. It's not a perishable seed a reference to human procreation, but an imperishable seed that lives within us now. And so Peter's command to love here is specifically for the church, for those who have been purified in their souls by obeying the gospel and those who have been born again. So so responding to the gospel and repentance and faith and being born again are two sides of the same coin called conversion. That's what conversion is. We, we turn from our sins. We, we're trusting in Christ. God makes us new. He causes us, Peter says, to be born again. That's the root of love. That's what Peter's saying. And the beauty of this text, and I think the Bible is just like this, is that you can, you can look at it that way. You see, you see how the, you start at the root, and then you sort of look up at, at the tree. But you can also go the other way. You can start at the tree... And just look back down at the root as well. Look at verse 22 again. Peter says, having purified your souls, that's the result of salvation. So we've responded to the gospel. Our souls are pure. We've done that by obedience to the truth, trusting, repenting. But notice the next phrase, for, for a sincere brotherly love. Friends, that's a statement of purpose. We were saved for something. What? A sincere brotherly love. In other words, the the purpose, the goal of salvation, at least one purpose, is genuine love for fellow believers. That's what Peter says. The word brotherly love, that's the word Philadelphia, indicating that fellow believers are in view here. Later, Peter is going to shift his focus on the church's love for non-believers. So you see, the root of Christian love is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the fruit of the gospel is love. We're, We're saved, the gospel produces love, and love, Christian love, is rooted in the gospel. 
I hope that you see how, that, how that's at work. And, and that truth cuts both ways. It, it challenges the person who might be here this morning who professes faith in Jesus but has no love, no commitment, no brotherly affection that's evident in your life. That, is that you this morning? Maybe you think about Christianity as kind of just you and Jesus. Let this reality just challenge you that your salvation, your new birth, is not ultimately just for you, but for something, namely, sincere, brotherly love. And you can't do that by yourself. If you're a Christian and you're not committed to a local church, not a member of a body of believers, just see how disconnected that looks in light of this passage. You are saved for this, to love others. To be part of an expression of God's love to the world. You're loving each other, shows others you're a disciple of Jesus, and that draws them to Him. And I wonder, what's keeping you from loving others in this way? Is there anything keeping you from, from glorifying God through loving others in the church, through committing yourselves to that? We, we did a, a session this morning in our starting point class, a membership class, and we'd love for you to come and, and hear about what that means if you haven't if you're not a member of a local church. I'd love to to connect you with a local church, even if you're just visiting today and you live far away and you're not a part of a local church. I'd love to help connect you to one where you live. Now, the other end of the spectrum is true as well. So maybe we're somebody who has lots of love, lots of service, lots of other things that we're doing, but there's no root. We're, We're in just as much trouble there. I was walking up to Aldi the other day. I don't know if you know the grocery cart situation at Aldi, but it's pretty genius. The way it works is you put a quarter in to this deal and you get a cart out of it's locked and you get it and you get to go shop. And then when you come back, you have to put it up with the other carts. And if you do, you get your quarterback. Okay, it's pretty awesome. Well, I was walking into Aldi and a guy came up to me with his cart and just gave me his cart. And he said, here you go. And I'm like, dude, do you know what this means? You're giving me a quarter. You're losing your quarter. Like, are you sure you know how this works? And he's like, yep, I know how this works. And he said something like, pass it along. Kindness is contagious. Love someone else today. Something like that. And I was like, you know, that's right. I'm going to do that. And so when I came out, done my shopping, found a lady. Hey, here's a, here's a, a, a cart. And I don't remember exactly what I said. To her, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that that cart passing on is still going on even today. Like there's a revival of carts at Aldi that are free. But but the question is is like what? Well, okay, well what is the goal? What's the root of that? What's the result? Well, it made me feel pretty good. Um, but there's really no eternal significance. There's no real root. There, there's nothing nothing there that's going to change someone's eternal destiny. And so that's what we want, to, we want to focus on, having both the fruit and the root. Peter says the root has to be connected to the fruit of love, and the root, if it's there, will produce love. That's the first thing we want to see. Next, Peter shows us what, what caused all this to happen. Okay, well, if this is true, how did it happen? And, and let's look at that in number two. So the cause of love. The cause of love. What was the cause or the means that God used to bring us to himself? To, to, 
to sort of look again at the flow of thought, Peter says, we've been born again. That's the root of love. How? It was a pick it up there in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the imperishable seed that was planted in us by God is the word of God. Peter says in verse 25, that word is the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. That good news that was preached to you. That imperishable seed of the gospel gives us, when it takes root in us, a constant and invincible hope because the word of God doesn't perish. It's his very breath that has taken root in us and through him we will endure forever. So we're born again into this living and abiding hope by the living and abiding word of God. So think about that. The word of God is living. You know, it's dangerous to just sit in church week in and week out, especially dangerous for your sin and just listen to the word of God over and over just to have it unleashed on you. uh, Hebrews 4.12 says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you know the word of God is doing that through the spirit? There's a cumulative effect of God's word attacking us by his grace. That's why we preach the word. That's our hope, is that God, through His Spirit, would be actively working through His Word. It is a living Word, and it's an abiding Word. That's another way, I think, of just saying it's imperishable. So God's promises don't fade, they don't wear out. And Peter illustrates this by kind of contrasting the the permanence and the, the value and quality of life given through God's Word with our mortal lives. So he quotes from Isaiah 46 to 8 here, which are promises that God is making to redeem his people from exile in Babylon. And so immediately there in context, God is telling his people to trust him, even though they're in exile, not to look to the man-made strength and glory of their captors and be discouraged, look to the invincible, eternal God. God is stronger, his word is more enduring than the Babylonians. And now Peter applies those promises to Christians who are said to be in exile. And he looks at that promise and he sees something even greater than coming home from Babylon. He sees the good news of the gospel. He sees Jesus, I think, all over the pages of Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Kind of the the mission statement of John the Baptist. Isaiah 40 verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Isaiah 40 verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those 
that are young. So God's covenant promises to comfort and to save his people through the Messiah have now come to full bloom in Jesus. And he's saying you can have comfort through the living and abiding word of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word has endured even through Isaiah's day and now has an impact on us even now in 2019. In our exile, God's word empowers us still to love. By comparison, our mortal bodies, not so much. Our lives are like the grass of the field and the flower of the grass. We wither and fall. We dry up. We are here today and we're gone tomorrow. And Psalm 103 says that when man is gone and the wind blows, the place where we were knows us no more. Psalm 103, 16. Friends, that's a good reminder. We will one day, soon, be forgotten. Well, that's encouraging. Just think about that for a minute. Try to remember back, we can all remember back one generation. We, we know who our parents are, most of us. We know their names. We can remember where they were born and some details about their growing up. What do you remember about your grandparents? Where were they born? What do you know about their lives growing up? Kind of what they were like in elementary school and middle school. Then go back to your great-grandparents. What do you know about them? Do you know much at all? I wonder if you can even name them. They're only separated from us by two generations. Listen to James, James 1.11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Friend, what are you pursuing? Is it, is it money? Is it fame? Is it your reputation? Are you giving your life to things that are falling and perishing like the grass? We are perishable, but we have an imperishable gospel. A seed that grows in us that will never fade. And we need that seed in us that abides and will never fade or wear out. John Wesley thought on this reality and he said this, I'm a creature of a day. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me that way. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. We know that it's through God's word that we are saved. Paul says, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Did you notice there are two things in this passage that endure forever? People and God's word. People and God's word. Are you giving yourself to those things? To God's people and God's word? There is an imperishable abiding power in us through the word, through the gospel. And when we give ourselves, give our lives to the book and to the people around us, they're going to live forever. We're actually investing in eternity. Something that will never be forgotten. That will endure. A labor that will not be in vain. The cause of our love, of our new birth, is this living, abiding word of God. The gospel. Friend, what are you investing in? 
Finally, let's take some time here at the end and just look at the command itself. So now we've kind of given the, the context, we've given, we've thought about what underlies this command, and now let's look at the command itself. Number three, the command of love. Peter exhorts us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So our love is first to be earnest. Another word would be sincere, which points, I think, to its authenticity, to its source. It's to be from a pure heart, which we understand, knowing the doctrine of sin as we do, that that can only happen through God's grace, through the washing of regeneration in us. That's where everything must begin, and we've seen that already. And it's to be expressed in brotherly affection to one another. Friends, think about this. You are in an eternal fellowship. When you are committed to another people, you are in an eternal fellowship with God's people. With Christians across the ages and across the world. The Christian life cannot authentically be lived in isolation. We can't do it by ourselves. It's lived out together with the community of believers, the body of Christ. Now, trying to define what love is is a, is a challenge today. Like, There's all kinds of definitions, all kinds of conversation. There's not a lot of confusion in the Bible about what love is. We see it really, really clearly. Paul tells the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And just consider that. He's just saying, I don't need to say anything. You've been taught by God. If you're a Christian, you know what love is. You have the definition. You got the question correct. How has God taught us to love? Well, he's done more than teach us, hasn't he? He's shown us himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have all turned our backs on God. We've all ignored God, broken God's commands, treated God as, as worthless, and all have deserved his judgment. And he did not give us what we deserve. He gave us grace. He gave us eyes to see Christ, his son, the eternal son of God, who came to earth, who, who lived a perfect life, who died a death in our place to take the wrath of God upon himself, and then three days later, who would rise again from the grave, victorious over sin and death. Friends, this is the good news that is being preached to you. The eternal word and abiding word of God. Have you responded to that? Have you, have you just heard that and let it go on by? Or have you responded in repentance and faith? That's love. And you can't demonstrate that until you've experienced that. This is not a sermon about just how to love better. This is a sermon of what God's people do, who God's people are and what they do. And maybe you need to understand, am I one of God's people today? Am I one of God's children through Christ? I'd love for you to just, if you have a question about that, I'd love to talk to you more about that today. Or someone near to you would love to talk to you about that too. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're thinking about this, fleshing out this definition of love, I think the way in which we think about it is, is not really 
much different. If we were or not a Christian, we see the gospel, that's what love is. We're a Christian, we see the gospel, that's what love is. Our love needs to be shaped in the way that Jesus loved. So John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. That doesn't sound very new. Like you see calls to love in the Bible before this. But the newness of that new commandment is that phrase, just as I have loved you. That's how we're to love one another. The way that Jesus has loved us. He gave everything for us. He sacrificed himself for us. 1 John 4, 7-11, kind of see the same example of the root and fruit of love interacting. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved if God so loved us. We ought to love one another. You see the vision of love here. It's the cross. It's Jesus. How important is this for us to get this? Are we marked as a congregation by love for one another? Listen to what, how Peter kind of prioritizes this. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. Like that gets our attention. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober or self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Verse 8. Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Peter? Because I don't know what you think about when you think about your ministry in the local church and what the priority is. But he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another, beloved, as you have been loved by God in Christ. Would you just think on that that passage, 1 Corinthians 13, just think on that with me for a minute. I know we're not at a wedding, but the context of that passage is is the local church. Paul's giving instructions to the church about love. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Beloved, I just think if we live like that, we would change the world. How convicting to think of the ways that that we have insisted on our own way. That I have insisted on my own way. Or I have rejoiced at wrongdoing. Like I have a narrative going in my head and saying, yeah, the church is kind of like this. And then I see something. I say, see, that fits into that that narrative. Have you ever found yourself just to kind of be critical of the church or looking for ways that it's not doing well as opposed to rejoicing in the truth in grace and 
or maybe being impatient, maybe being arrogant. You know, leaders can be arrogant. Members can be arrogant. Love isn't arrogant. Love is humble. Love is patient. Love is kind. Long-suffering. So just here's my encouragement if you're a member at our church. Love when others don't deserve it. Because you didn't deserve it when God loved you. Love when others sin because you were also loved as a sinner. And love also includes discipline. We know that. Love when others let you down because your God has never and will never let you down. Love when everything isn't perfect because if that were the standard... Friends, none of us would be saved if God waited until we got it together. Love and be committed to love this people. Be committed to a people, even when it's hard. Don't, don't think that if it's not great or if I just get, I get tired, I'm just going to go somewhere else where it's probably easier. That's, that's sometimes how I think about my cable contract. Like, I'd like to negotiate that baby or get rid of it altogether. But not about the church. How committed has God been to us? How invested is he in us? So love like Jesus loved. This is what the church is supposed to do. Above all else. We're going to continue with some more application next week. You see in chapter 2, he just keeps going. He keeps fleshing out what this love is and what it looks like. But we're going to close now. We'll save that for next time. Peter is showing us that, that holiness is like a fire. And, and this fire, one author says it this way, flames in personal devotion to God, personal, personal holiness to God, and in love for others. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Both of those things are happening. And the love that we've been shown by, by God in Christ, that's to characterize our lives. In, and it's supposed to characterize it in the church especially. And I'll just say how encouraged I am and the elders are as we look out and see this, this happening among us. We see it in many ways. We see God's grace at work through love in you. And let me just encourage you to continue to, to, to serve God in that way. Continue to anchor your love for others in the gospel, in the invincible, imperishable word of God that was preached to you. One author put it this way, salvation is the living way of love. Jesus has shown us this love. He now calls us to show it to the world as we love one another. I just pray this would be continually on your hearts. Think of 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he cannot see. Whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So the root of Christian love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the gospel is Christian love. So love each other earnestly, beloved, from a pure heart. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us in this. that you would 
Lord, help us to continually be putting aside kind of worldly standards of, standards of measurement as we think about our relationships with people in the church and continually be seeking to be providers and not consumers. That we would continually be looking to, to love in this gospel-shaped way in which you have loved us. Lord, I pray that we would speak to one another with charity and that you would give us grace in our words to build one another up. And that even the, the difficult parts of love and, and discipline and confrontation would be done in such a way that it's clear that our desire is for this person or these, these to be, Lord, restored to a relationship with you. That you would receive glory. So we ask for your help. We ask for your, your grace. And these things, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For the glory of God, Baptist Church of the Redeemer seeks to obey Christ in the Great Commission task of making disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find out about us at our website, bcredeemer.org.